all you gals and ghouls, to the Sexist Podcast, your favorite podcast exercising the bad sex and relationships from your favorite horror films with your favorite hosts, Jordy and Sarah. <laughs> that was good. That sounded a little bit like Ghostface. Sarah. <laughs> I've, I've been working on my creepy voice. I love that. It could, it could be like a creepy horror killer and it could be a phone sex line, which arguably is exactly the vibe of this <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Is it creepy? Is it sexy? I actually think we should do a little like skit in this podcast where we do, is it creepy? Is it sexy? And people can like phone in and tell us and we could get like clips from horror films and try and work out, is it creepy? Is it sexy? I absolutely love that. Maybe when we um, make it big and we get a Patreon, we can do like a bonus episode, which is uh, <laughs> game, is it creepy or is it sexy? And we could have like some people, um, some famous characters like The Grudge, uh, which I would say, <laughs> is it creepy? Is it ASMR? Is it creepy? Is it sexy? Is it ASMR? Yeah. This is this is going to be a whole thing. Um. So, <laughs> for those listening, the Sexist Podcast. Uh, how does it work? Is we will pick a new movie each episode. We'll give you a rundown. We'll tell you the spoilers of what that movie is, and then one of us is going to deconstruct the movie. Talk about all of the sex, consent, relationships. Really break it down. And then the other one is going to offer a magical reconstruction of what the movie could look like if it had really healthy, consensual sex and relationships. So this week, Sarah's doing the deconstruction. I don't know what she's going to come in with, and I'm bringing her the reconstruction. And she has no idea what unhinged shit that I've been thinking about for the last month. But I know <laughs> she's fucking ready for it. Buckle up, boys. <laughs> I'm drinking some wine because it's a Friday night and I'm just going to progressively get drunker throughout this. You'll be sober, maybe progressively COVID-y. <laughs> <laughs> see where it, see where it leads. So once again, me and Geordie are in very different situations. Um, for anyone that can't see the video, no one can see the video because we don't have one. For the best. But I... <laughs> absolutely for the best i'm currently in a camp van um in and for the audience life. can i tell you if you follow the instagram at some point i will post uh the picture that i when i turned on my zoom and saw sarah basically like uh, i don't know looking like she was sprawled down on a bare skin road like in this really sensual pose <laughs> with a microphone <laughs> It's very apt for said podcast, so it'll it maybe we'll put it on the Instagram if you're lucky. Tell us, tell us, Sarah, what are we doing? What are we doing this month? So this month we are doing it follows, which I know most of you listening to this podcast would have just thought, why didn't you do that from the get go? Like it's I know so I clearly... did. <laughs> It's so clearly the sexist podcast. Interestingly, It Follows, I thought was quite a recent film. And it is, but it was actually um, released in 2014, mm. which to my horror of time passing was actually a long time ago. So for anyone who doesn't know, It Follows is a film that was produced by or directed by David Robert Mitchell. And it was quite a sort of indie horror of the time that ended up getting a lot more uh, box office views and mm. notoriety than like I guess the budget that the film got mm. Micah Monroe who plays Jay mm. um, interestingly she is an actress but also a professional kiteboarder which I actually just thought was so cool that is so that's very random starring role love that it's so random <laughs> Um, then we've got two actually we've got three boys in the film um we've got hugh played by jake weary mm -hmm. who looks we've a lot like josh Greg. jackson don't you think jake weary i thought the whole time he looked I was like that. 
jo- uh, Josh Jackson. I thought we were looking at Pacey the whole time, but I guess it just his <laughs> doppelganger. <laughs> also, amazingly, the actor that played Hugh, so he actually played in Zombievers. I don't know if you've ever seen this. <laughs> I only know it as a bit of a comedy horror that I stumbled across, where it literally follows like college kids who get attacked by zombie beavers. That tracks. And do you know what? It sounds amazing. <laughs> like Sharknado. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I did have a little giggle at when I was looking up the characters and actors was that um, one of the main characters listed was Mike Lanier, a.k.a. the giant man. <laughs> That's what he was called. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I'm glad that they really put that front forward because I did find giant man as the most terrifying character in pretty much the whole thing. That scared me shitless. Yeah, that was actually fucking horrible. So Mike Le- Lanier, if you're out there, Great job being so huge. It was terrifying. <laughs> so um, Jay's, Jay kind of hangs out with this crew, which is like includes a sister, character called Kelly, um, a girl called Yara, and a boy called Paul who's like obsessed with Jay. Um, and he's just this kind of little sad boy that is, a, you know, in love. Um He's he's a bit of a sappy character in in the film, which is kind of hilarious because when I was looking into the actor who's Keir Gilchrist, he is in a grindcore band and a metal <laughs> band. One of them is called Wellman Death. Yes, <laughs> oh, of course. Okay, so before I go into a bit of a like an overview, I guess like some content warnings for this film. There's lots of um, kind of overtones of sexual assault and coercive behavior around sex in the film um yeah i guess like lots of violence general creepiness that you would always get in a horror film and i think like yeah feelings of dread and we'll go into it in the podcast but i think you could definitely see the film as like a bit of an allegory of like the trauma of sexual assault even though Mm. you don't necessarily see any sex that is depicted in that way in the film itself. Mm. Um, So yeah, that's the kind of things that we might be talking about in this podcast. And also just to like heads up if you're watching the film, but I I really recommend this film. I, I actually feel like I don't get scared by horror films that much these days. And even though I've watched it follows before rewatching it, I was still deeply scared to the pit of my stomach to yes. the point where I had to like do oh, all yes. things afterwards where you like talk to someone and I ha- I made sure that like my partner didn't leave the room and you know I was <laughs> like oh my god I'm actually terrified and you know what Sarah like I th- I felt the exact same way when I rewatched it again I was like fuck me this is such a good film because it's really creepy that I made splodge my partner watch it even though they absolutely do not like horror and I was like oh you'll like it it's like really interesting social commentary and it's not that scary and they were caught like halfway in and they're like I'm gonna just play Candy Crush on my phone but it was it's (laughs) such a good film um and I feel like one of the things that I really love about it is that it I as kind of Sarah touched on it it does um it hints at a lot of things around sexual assault uh, amongst other things and without doing any gratuitous violence. Like it, it speaks so well to so many things without having to just show like gratuitous sexual violence or anything like that. It's, and it still gets a really good feeling. It's a very smart film. So hundred percent watch it. Even for those warier uh, horror watchers. All right, people, so spoilers. Get ready because we're about to spoil the entire film. So if you haven't seen the film, go and watch it now. We'll wait and then come back. Great. Now that you're back, here's a brief rundown of the film. So the movie opens on a hot summer and we've got Jay, our protagonist, um, and she's been going on a couple of dates with this new guy named Hugh. 
Everything seems to be going pretty well other than the fact that he acts a bit jumpy sometimes until they get to the point where they go on a date that ends up with them having sex in their car. And then... And when they have sex together, he then puts chemicals over her mouth and she wakes up on a chair and he basically tells her, I've got this curse that was passed on to me when I had sex with someone. And the only way you can pass it on is to have sex with someone. And the curse is basically this entity that turns up as like creepy people in your life or just random strangers. And it's basically, it's a bit zombie vibes in the fact that it just, it walks towards you until it kills you and it'll go to the person in the chain. So. And for all of the viewers at home, for clarification, mm-hmm. when when somebody has sex with you and they pass on the entity or the curse, um, it will follow you. It will walk. It just walk slowly, following you. It follows <clears throat> to the title. And it's constantly following you no matter how you get away. The only way, as Sarah said, that you get rid of it is passing it on. If the person that you pass it on to is killed by the entity, then it will come back to trying to kill you and then back down the line, back down the line. So it is imperative that if you pass it along, that the next person knows that they need to pass it along. So when I was watching it with my partner, they were like, wouldn't you just find some horrible piece of shit to just like have sex with and just live happily? And whilst I did sit down and say, Let's unpack the ethics of what you just said. (laughs) (laughs) But you couldn't just do that, okay? You can't just do that because if the person that you pass it on to dies, it comes back after you. Um, Yeah, you you have to make sure that the person that you pass it on to knows that they have to pass it on. Otherwise, all of your sex is a waste of time. Unless it was good. And then, you know, at least you died doing something you loved. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm sure at this point you've got more questions about how, what, why, what's going on. (laughs) It's quite a ridiculous premise, to be honest. One of the things as well, just in terms of like immediate impressions of the film, one of the things that I really loved is how it really depicted, I think, in an accurate way, the, the feeling of adolescence or like later adolescence, but particularly like these long, never-ending hot summers when you're young. And I remember saying this to my partner and they're from Scotland and they were like, what you're saying makes no sense to me because no such thing as a never-ending long summer in Scotland (laughs) or in the UK. (laughs) (laughs) We never got bored of the sunshine. (laughs) Yeah. But in Australia, like there's always this feeling when you're younger everything moves slowly in the summer so these like long days and the whole time I was watching it I was just like this feels like I am like 17 in summer it created this sense of nostalgia so I think because a lot of horror film centers teenagers but like you know 90s slashes have people that are like 30 and it feels really ridiculous whereas all of the young people felt actually like young people in this movie. Totally. And also, there's no adults in the whole film. No. Nah, All the really. adults that are in it are kind of very superfluous. Like, or the entities. Like yeah, totally. The adults are the kind of the creepy monsters. Um, so you feel like you're really in the perspective of like being 17 again and mm. having that kind of boredom. And, mm. But also that kind of feeling of like, you know, my life is changing. There's lots of, I mean, it's a, it's, it's definitely a coming of age film. Mm. Like it, it feels like, um, yeah, Done what's so going to well. change and all this expectation of being an adult and having sex and, um, and actually the crushing reality that <laughs> it's going to give you a crazy disease. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like with that in mind, uh, the never ending foreboding doom, maybe this is the perfect time to launch into the deconstruction because I feel like we're totally. on the edge of that precipice. Deconstruction. Wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight for you. All you can do is pass it along to someone else. Um, lots and lots and lots and lots of people have lots of different thoughts 
uh, around It Follows. And I think there are kind of strong themes and I'm going to go through a few of them and then I'm going to give some thoughts that I had watching. But honest to God, Geordie, please just come in with whatever thoughts you have around this because I guess my honest hot take is I'm not 100% sure what I think of the film and what it's trying to say. You know, the jury is still out in my mind. Um, I think one thing to start off with, which I thought was really interesting, was the director said that the core idea came from having a reoccurring nightmare when he was nine or ten, a monster that just kept following him. So I I just really like that actually this kind of the core idea of this is something from like a nightmare essentially Mm. that the director had, which I feel like you can feel that. There's something lovely about that because, you know, when you have scary dreams and I wake up from scary dreams often and I think I need to write this down. This would be an amazing horror movie because for the viewers out there, my one of my greatest dreams is that one day I would like to write a horror musical which is scary and has great tunes because horror musicals, while they exist, Rocky Horror little shop of horrors look there's so many um horror musicals but they're all funny i want to make one that is scary and show tunes is it possible i'm not sure <laughs> also i have absolutely no compositional script writing skills so i have no idea how that will go anyway <laughs> i every time i have a scary dream i think I need to write this down. It'll be so scary. And then I write it down. When I wake up, I think (laughs) that is some dumb shit. No one else will find that scary because having (laughs) like trying to create the foreboding feeling in a dream is so hard, but I feel like that is what he's done. He's done a really good job of that in this film. Quite like the idea that he's just started with this like horror nightmare uh, and he's just trying to give us like a feeling that he had as a 10-year-old boy in this nightmare and that we're just there like, right, it's all about this and that and the other and deconstructing it. And actually he's just like, no, (laughs) I just had this dream and it was really scary and I wanted to scare you all. So the kind of most clear connection that a lot of people go to when they're sort of deconstructing this film is relating it to STIs. So people catching STIs from having sex and then passing it on and the kind of, um, the feelings around that and the horror that people have with it um, and also this idea that you kind of have sex and then this entity or this thing is just going to follow you for the rest of your life. Can I also say today I was looking up um, some basic stats for It Follows to you know make sure we had like the director's name right and the year right and blah, blah, blah. And the number one uh, Googled question about the movie was like, um, is it follows about syphilis? How it follows relates to syphilis. <laughs> what is syphilis? Like it was all, it wasn't STDs. It was all syphilis. And I'm like, what is, <laughs> what is the film's lock on with syphilis? <laughs> it's just such a random lock on. It did make me laugh. <laughs> I wonder how many people have just like Googled loads of information and learned loads about STIs following watching this film. 100% because there's so many times when I've been working with young people and some of the things that they've come out with I remember having a chat with someone where a young woman said that her um friend was fingered over the clothes and asked if she would get an STD from that and then another one was obviously the toilet seat like people have so many misconceptions about how stds work people think that if you have sex only once you won't get stds like it's so it's so wild to think how much mystification is around stds still in the technological age yeah i definitely think there's a big part of this film that talks about the mystification like because we've had such an abstinence fear-based approach to sex ed young people have no idea how stds work but they're fucking terrified of them and this movie really gets that vibe across yeah but i i see i i know what you're saying but i'm also just like none of the characters in the actual film seem worried or scared around stis so it sort of feels like 
they're obviously scared of like the curse the thing that's following them after they have sex and it's definitely a whole thing of like i don't know these expectations of what sex could be and then suddenly it's this like truly horrific thing that's just like following you um that whole thing of like you're gonna have sex and then die i mean it's literally (laughs) that is what happens in the film but i do think that the fact that the young people are really naive to it until one of their friends gets it and then they're like but what do you mean what happens about it what's going on i can't see it is it really a big deal i actually think is really what happens when people get stds like in a friendship group one young person is like i've got chlamydia and everyone's what is that can i get that i held your hand yesterday does that mean i'm gonna get it is it really a thing what's even happening i feel like it also speaks to the lack of education around it do you know what i mean it's it's completely mystified Hmm. Yeah, okay, so it kind of just, like, comes out of nowhere. They don't know what they're even... It's not even something that they would be scared of because they've never got education around it. Well, yeah, and and it's... suddenly, bam! It's it's scary because it's unknown, and there's a lack of... There's so little knowledge that knowledge creates a a myriad of responses, like disbelief, fear, um, uncertainty, defiance. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I also really like how this film inverts everything so you know if we are taking the sdi kind of allegory i guess like normally it would be about like shame and not spreading something and you know not passing it on to other people whereas in this film the whole thing is about oh you know you have to pass it on to as many people Mm. as possible (laughs) which is really interesting i think from a consent point of view right because in the first scene she has sex with uh, hugh slash jeff you know, she consents to having sex with him. She's really interested in having sex with him. And then suddenly after they have sex, he tells her that he's passed this thing on to her. And I think it's a really interesting uh, commentary around informed consent, right? Because whilst you watch the sex scene, you think, yeah, she's well up for this. Can she really be consenting if she actually doesn't know what she's consenting to. Totally. And like, I think this is where all of the deconstruction around trauma comes in because, you know, she, she has this like whole image of like herself having sex with this like really cute guy that she really likes and gives her like a sense of freedom. And then the next scene is him. Basically she wakes up strapped to a chair Mm. being told about the curse she's not consented at all to Mm -hmm. the actual reality of the situation Mm. um the film does a really good job of showing how maybe not it's maybe not directly about the trauma of like sexual assault but i think it's like the trauma of like not really fully understanding the sexual situation and then Mm. kind of almost like having your coming to and being like oh it was a whole different situation was going on and now i'm cursed and no one believes me and I'm going to run around and no one can see what's going on for me no one can see this like pure horror that I'm experiencing mm. um I just felt like it it just felt like a really good reflection of how difficult sexual experiences can stay with you 100% see my main takeaway from this film is I 100% think the whole thing is an allegory for sexual assault because while the STD thing is like very there and very obvious and um, there were so many things about it that just read for me as like trying to show the audience what the experience of sexual trauma looks like so there's the part that you're talking about, Sarah, where she's like touching the flower and she's talking about how she how she would imagine that her life was going to be when she was older and dating. And she's talking about it in this beautiful romanticized way just before the kind of trauma hits, right? Which I feel like really speaks to how um, sexual trauma really breaks our view of the world. It really impacts how we see the world and how we see ourselves. Um, and then instantly there are so many scenes which I feel like uh, give you the felt sense of the impacts of sexual trauma. So like the uh, scene where she's sitting in class and she's listening and then she's looking out the window and she sees the entity following her and she kind of focuses in on that and everything goes a bit quiet and then suddenly she's kind of has to leave gave me the real kind of vibe of 
when young people dissociate in class and, um, you know, act really erratic and people on the outside are like, well, what the fuck's going on with this person? But for them, something has triggered them to kind of end up somewhere else. Um, you know, the fact that she can't sleep because, you know, she's constantly waiting for this thing to kill her, the, the, the trauma to kind of come back to me speaks of night terrors, which is another kind of symptom of when people experience sexual trauma. Um, but also the fact that the thing is constantly following her represents flashbacks of the fact that that trigger is always there. Um, and then there's the part where she kind of goes through that phase of trying to just fuck whatever random dudes that she can find to get rid of it, which to me, I think really speaks to when people start engaging in like lots of sex, maybe kind of um, self-destructive sex or what we would perceive as that, but maybe they're trying to just like have sexual encounter that kind of rewrites, either rewrites the sexual trauma and, and there's something to forget about it or se- or having sex that kind of um, hurt themselves as a response. Like it, it's totally speaks to that as well. Like there's so many scenes in it where I'm like, this is such a good example of what a survivor of sexual trauma goes through. Um, I don't know what you think about that, Sarah, but that was that was the take the take home from me. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think you just described it so well, and uh, I think that even if that wasn't the intention of the you know of like how the film was being made, because I'm genuinely not sure, I think mm-hmm. that like it is such a a key takeaway mm-hmm. and like you know such a like accurate reflection of of that like I think it just does it so well did you Um, pick that up as well like was that your your main takeaway yeah definitely yeah I think I think I'm unsure if it's specifically related to sexual assault I think like the more that I thought about it my takeaway was that it was something around sex not living up to expectations so you know how we we're talking before around she didn't know the full context of what was going on mm-hmm. that feeling of like oh you want sex to be this kind of feeling of freedom and this sense of like becoming an adult and having all of these like teenage dreams about what sex is but then actually the sex itself leaving you with a loss of yourself or like feeling anxious whether it's about kind of an actual traumatic incident or something that's more diffuse like that I definitely think the kind of the horror of the impacts that that has on Jay the main character is Mm. just so cleverly done and such a disturbingly accurate picture of how that makes you feel and also how other people act around you Mm. I mean in general the sex in the film is just very sad she doesn't seem into it. All the boys, you know, there's lots about sexuality and like all the boys seem to be obsessed with her. But I feel like all the experiences that she has are just very disattached, very dispassionate. Would you say that um, about the the um, the first time she has sex with... The first time she has sex with uh, Hugh, though, do you... Th- feel like that about kind of yeah did you I feel like she is into it but maybe it's like it's reminiscent of like how awkward teenage sex is because it doesn't look un it doesn't look unconnected but it looks a bit awkward like which maybe still rings true to what you're saying about how you we have this romanticized idea about sex until you start having sex and realize that it's just a whole bunch of awkward nude nonsense that adults do (laughs) (laughs) I think that like I think less like I mean she definitely consented to it and you know first time she has sex with Hugh you know she's up for it she she wants to have sex but it just seems like the reality this expectation that she has just feels so different to like the reality and you, you know you just get a sense from her that she just is left a bit like is that it? Like a bit unfulfilled. Mm. Um, yeah. And then, and then it kind of goes on to like, I guess a lot of the next sex scenes, again, just like very disattached. Like the second time um, that she has sex with, oh, what's the character called? Greg. Uh-huh. Um, 
you know, she's in the hospital. She's kind of just like looking elsewhere. She's not really involved at all. And then she finally hooks up with Paul, the kind of slightly sad boy that's like really deeply in love with her. Even that, it's like they have this conversation at the end. They're like, oh, did you feel any different? And Paul's like, no. And then Paul's like, oh, did you feel any different? She's like, no. They're both just a bit like, ugh. Hmm. Sex is rubbish. <laughs> I I loved that scene because you're totally right. It reminded me of, do you remember when when we're young and there was so much like mystification around sex? Um, I, you know, and it's all about trying to keep your virginity, right? Like the way in which parents and teachers and stuff used to and you know, probably still do talk about sex as in this way of it being really special that you want to like save yourself for someone special, you know, as a, as a way of trying to like keep your purity, keep your virginity, blah, 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 some nonsense, heteronormative religious bullshit. Um, and that scene where they were like, do you feel any different? No. Do you feel any different? I feel is how we all went after we were all brought up on this narrative and then we all shagged for the first time. And then we met up with our girlfriends. We were like, so we all had sex. Does anyone feel like a woman yet? Or does anyone feel any different? I don't think so. Totally. And I feel honestly, my hot take is the film is completely just about that. And and I don't mean that in a way that the film is like all sex is bad, but just that like the kind of, yeah, the mystification, the fact, the things that people don't talk to you about gives you this sense that sex is going to be this thing that gives you adulthood and it, a sense of freedom and like this connection that is going to be so wild. And that actually the expectations are so high that actually when a lot of these teenagers in the film actually have sex and it feels a bit cold or you know, maybe a bit awkward or they left with like loads of anxiety about was that good enough or was that right? And don't you think as well, though, that that is so like relevant to the young people that we were working with? Because do you remember when we spent a lot of time thinking about awkwardness and talking about how there's a lot of young people who will not ask about consent and not check in because of the fear of awkwardness? And we were talking about how awkwardness is really the backbone of sex like it sex is so absurd that it's bound to be a bit awkward and that tolerating and being able to sit with awkwardness is just so key to healthy communication creating safety and trust like good consent and sex exploration and I feel like you're you're so right in how this film all of the sex is like a bit awkward and it's like We have this idea from the people around us and from movies that sex is going to be really passionate and really easy and really it'll be like, oh, amazing, blah, blah, blah. And then when we have it, it's like super awkward (laughs) and sometimes pleasurable and sometimes just like really weird where we're like, we're totally consenting, we're up for it, but we're surprised about how fucking weird and awkward it is and we're not encouraged to to talk about things or whatever during to say what we want. So we kind of just like blindfully, awkwardly flop on top of each other in the hope that someone's going to feel good. And it's just fucking weird. Like it, it totally speaks to the demystification of sex where you go from your fairy tale, romanticized idea of sex to, to realizing that it's just awkward bodies. You feel any different? No. You? Feel? No. <laughs> I feel a bit weird, to be honest. <laughs> but I mean, like, genuinely, my main thing was like, I'm not sure what they're trying to get at. Like, is it about SDIs? Is it about trauma? Is it about the kind of fear of death? Or is it this kind of, I don't know, growing up and like sex not living up to expectations? But maybe um, it's all of that, Sarah. Like, if you're... Uh... If your deconstruction is that the movie is about the process that we all go through, where we have these young romantic ideas about love and relationships that we get from movies and our parents and whatever, and the transition that we go into adulthood where we realize that it's awkward and complicated and difficult and and ick in many ways, that that process very much includes STDs, consent, the risk of sexual assault, 
in in the process of having that realization, all social commentaries then become valid. So maybe your deconstruction is like the meta of all meta deconstructions of this film. Yeah, 100%. Also, just as an aside, I also think there's like a whole thing in this film of being disbelieved, right? And how interesting is it that Greg is like, oh, something happened to Jay, but it's not what she thinks. It's like yeah. he's alluding to the fact that he thinks that Jay has dealt with something traumatic, maybe a sexual assault. And he's like, oh, definitely she's been impacted by something, but it's not what we all know to be true. Yeah. So his belief is about putting her with the very thing that then he goes on to kill him. Totally. Do you know what's really interesting though, says is that like, because obviously when I was watching this, I got such a strong uh, theme around like the impacts of sexual assault. In my mind, right, the idea is that someone experiences sexual trauma, they have to give it to someone else. They spoke to the, the cycle of violence. I, I, like, I thought there were some, I don't know, very interesting moments about how the cycle of violence impacts on men. And I thought how when Greg experienced the sexual trauma, if we're taking that lens, he was of this mindset of, oh, I don't think it's passed on to me. I don't think, I don't, think it's happened to me which to me read as that thing that the patriarchy does to men of denying their feelings of being like i'm fine nothing's happened to me i don't need to deal with my trauma i can repress it and he repressed it and repressed it to the point in which he died which again nods to men's poor mental health and suicide the repression of trauma and the fact that toxic masculinity says don't engage in any help-seeking behaviors are like the two major risk factors for what causes men's depression and suicide i feel like there's something really meta about the fact that People don't want to do this, but they're forced to, in in a way, commit a violent act over all of these people that inherently still impacts them. Like, it hurts them to have to hurt somebody else. You know what I mean? Also, like, that everyone has agency within mm. in the film, which I think is kind of interesting. You know, Jay's kind of having these conversations, like, oh, I don't want to pass it on. But then all of the boys, in their own different ways, like, wanting to help. Um and I think some of that is just like motivated by like lust. And I also thought it was fucking hilarious that Paul was jealous that uh, she got with Greg. <laughs> and he was like, I like you too, you know, why did you pick Greg to pass it on? It's like, why did you kill him off? You could have killed me. I fucking, I I'm so keen to have sex with you. Why can't you kill me? <laughs> it's like, it gave me real... Greta Gerwig's Barbie vibes of Ken. Why did you kill other Ken? Am I not a good enough Ken? <laughs> this is the character. This is like one of the main characters in the film that actually believes Jay and so genuinely knows like what she's up against and who she's running away from. And his response is like, shag me and why didn't you? I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> he just needs to get out like a little guitar on the stoop and yeah. start singing songs. Okay, so hot take. It follows is like a depressed Indeed. horror film. Uh, it follows is the hipsters version of Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a depressed hipsters version of Barbie. <laughs> I like this I like this hot take because I don't think a single person has had it. And Except I don't think a single person will agree. Okay. <laughs> Fuck me. All right. So we're on. We're here. We're ready. We're on to the reimagination. And for me, the reimagination is obvious. Whether you believe this movie is about social commentary on STDs, a social commentary on sexual assault, a social commentary on the illusion and dissolution of sex, the main key thing that would reimagine this whole thing is good RSE, relationships, sexuality, education, sex education. I completely agree. Mm. <laughs> I was expecting something truly horrific from you. Sarah, um, this but that seems quite sense. You saying that you are preparing for something depraved is like all of the conservatives whenever we say consent and sex education for kids and they're like, don't talk to my small child about sex. 
And then you're like, we're just <laughs> a small child about bodily autonomy. It's the same thing. Nothing's as scary as, you know, it's what you think it's going to be. Except for sex. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So in the movie, Jay and Paul reminisce about a kiss they had when they were young and they say that after the kiss they got the sex ed talk well I want to reimagine what that talk looks like because from the vibe of the film um, and the level of fear in the film I can bet that the sex ed would have been heavy fear and abstinence based um, also the way that you hear the mum gossip about her trauma in one of the scenes makes me think that the vibe of the talk wouldn't have been like super respectful of Jay's privacy or how Jay may have been feeling or like creating a safe space for questions, um, and talking about things really openly and honestly. Um, there's a lot of romanticized ideas about sex. And so if we're going to reimagine it, we're going to take all of that fear and all of that shame and put it in the bin and instead create a really nice vibe, shame-free vibe where Jay can ask questions. In fact, do you know what? What we're going to do for the reimagination is we're going to take uh, It Follows and we're going to replace Jay's mum with Jean Milburn, Otis's mum from Sex Education. Boom. Gillian Anderson from Sex Education. <laughs> Not only is she the um, sex expert that's there to talk Jay through any and all problems, but she's also hot as fuck. And that's helpful for <laughs> the viewers, you know? <laughs> so I really like uh, the idea that all sex educators also, you know, have to be hot and that that is just like us ego boosting um, themselves. Sorry, Sarah, have you ever met a <laughs> sex educator that wasn't hot, even if they were traditionally hot to look at? You spend five minutes talking to them and you think, God damn, tell me it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, there's no way you can sit and watch someone in a, in a society that's full of taboo bullshit around sex to watch someone comfortably talk about sex in a way that makes you feel comfortable and they talk about all sides of sex in a really casual way. There's no way you can walk out of there not thinking that person's hot, which is why, yes, Sarah and I are both hot as fuck. And that's the truth because all sex educators <laughs> are hot. It's a wild claim. It's a wild claim. Okay. So riddle me this then, Jordy, because obviously everyone's going to be getting the sex education. Yeah. What, how would that influence Hugh? Okay. So, you know, if we're taking the SDI approach, like, is he like being honest with, with Jay? Like what, what the hell's going on? So let's say we'll take let's take the STI version of the film. So let's say that every young person gets an RSE that is um really factual and not fear-inducing around STDs. So we talk about the fact that yes, STDs are a risk of sex. What are the STDs we're talking about? How do we prevent against them? What are we like, what are we talking about with different types of STIs? What are the different ways in which we can have sex and protect protect ourselves as well? So not just use a condom, but also what about oral sex? Dental dams. You know, there are safer, always safer ways to have sex and all different types of sex. So also, I guess, you know, we're focusing on the STI one because it's the most obvious, right? But like, we know that really good shame-free sex ed would fix literally any of the allegories you could have for this film really you know we know from the research that really good shame-free sex ed has amazing outcomes for young people like they're more likely to have healthy relationships and there's less risk of sexual abuse they're more likely to even delay having sex um until they're actually ready because they have a greater idea of what 
being ready might feel like. It, they're also more comfy talking about sex if they've got grow up in a household where it's okay to talk about things which could have healthier, um, you know, knock-on impacts so that they are more comfy talking about sex actually in their relationships. So really good RSE or good sex ed would fix all of the problems here. But... I digress, okay? Let's focus in on reimagining from the allegory of a sexually transmitted disease, right? This is what I'm telling you. I'm going to set I'm going to lay it out for you. The reimagination. <laughs> Paul and Kelly and Jay, they all kiss when they're however old. They go back to their parents to have the sex ed talk. But all of the parents bring all of the kids back to Jay's house because Jay's mom is a sex education, Gillian Anderson. So all of them want the kids to be educated by Gillian Anderson. So she's like, all right, everybody, come in. And she's wearing a very good jumpsuit as per usual. And she will <laughs> talk about STIs. Do you know what? Tell you what she'll do. She will play an STI game, ball game. That I played <laughs> for a sex ed class for seniors. Um, they were like a naughtier class. So we thought we would try and like make it funner rather than just sitting around talking. Um, and we had these foam stress balls that had cartoon pictures of germs on them. And like each germ represented a different STI. Um, and then we came up with this game where we'd be like throwing the balls around and be like, oh, someone's going to catch an STI. Watch out. What's the STI you've caught? And then the young person would have to look at the little picture on the ball that I threw at them and then try and find it around the room and be like, oh, I've got syphilis. <laughs> and then I'd be like, How? <laughs> what's syphilis about? <laughs> oh, how can I treat syphilis? You can go to your doctor and <laughs> get a antibiotic and how can I protect myself against syphilis and they'll be like use a condom or a barrier method like a dental dam and this is the game that we would play and I would imagine that sexy Gillian Anderson would do the same right make it learning but make it fun it's interactive also can I just can I just cut in here right because <laughs> I am just imagining this game where they're throwing all the balls around and then some kid just getting this ball it's just like oh ne never ending death cult <laughs> sti where you get followed and murdered and people are like what can help with that and people are like condoms no oh, <laughs> <laughs> sarah i tell you what there was nothing in that film that told me that you couldn't stop that fucking that entity with condoms because I was watching that thinking this is a problem because we didn't use protection. If the first person <laughs> had used a condom, this wouldn't be a problem. I, I swear to God. I, I, I saw this meme the other day that was like, boy mass. I definitely don't want a kid, but I definitely never want to wear condoms. Yeah, no, I, and I was like, that is I want zero kids, but I have zero condoms. <laughs> and I was like, that's kind of the film, right? Paul's like, yeah, I definitely don't want this like death cult, but also I really want to shag you. <laughs> I just feel if there was really good RSE, the entity wouldn't exist. You know, because the question begs, how did the entity even start? Do you know what I mean? That's a really good RSE in all skills, schools across the world. There wouldn't be any of this sick shit going on. Do you know what I mean? It would all be <laughs> consensual, good vibes. People having chats. Hey, I have um, genital herpes. This is how I... This is how we can protect against it. Do you feel like having sex? Yeah, I'm up for it. Let's use a condom. That sounds safe. Yeah, great. Let's do that. It's all good. No curses come from that good, consensual, open sex, right? This cursed shit comes from some heteronormative religious bullshit. <laughs> if we're doing the STI deep take, you know, is it really to get rid of STIs? Like, I feel like they're just going to be around. I think it's more yeah. like demystifying away from it. Exactly. Yeah. Like STIs, they're there, they exist, they're not a big deal. We communicate about them, we look after our health, we look after the health of our partner. Bada bing, bada boom. I love it. The reimagination is it follows becomes sex education. That's it. <laughs> I love it. So like we said, when we make our millions off this podcast, we're gonna we're gonna produce this this sequel. 
Yeah. <laughs> it follows education. It for exactly. Well, thanks everyone for coming along and listening to our amazing hot takes of this film. <laughs> we'll say you won't know this because I'll have done good editing. Sarah and I have been having a very difficult time with technology. Okay, technology has not been on our side tonight. Fucked this time. We're, we're cursed. It's just like the curse of bad internet just keeps following us. Fuck me. <laughs> it follows the sequel. It's just about <laughs> trying to get an internet connection. Two people uh, trying to make a podcast life. with like in 2023, but with internet that feels like you're in 2001. <laughs> it turns out there's literally no Wi-Fi in Bradford. So it's Bradford's fault. It's a void. It's an internet void. <laughs> um, next week, we're going to be watching Cherry Falls. So really encouraging everyone to take a month to watch it. It looks I actually haven't watched it yet myself, but it no, looks absolutely... This is the first time Sarah and I have been recommended a film that neither of us have watched. My friend Pedro said, of course you're going to do cherry films. And I was like, ah, yeah, of course. So <laughs> it's got cherry in it. It's probably about virginity. We're going to have a hot take. I'm ready for it. We're, I feel like the mystery is exciting. I cannot wait. It also looks like a kind of, uh, yeah, teenage high school like horror film, which I just think I just cannot wait for. There's just so much of this, of every horror film we do is always about teens, to be honest. Scream, teens. It True. follows teens. Cherry Falls, teens. It's all teens because society is only afraid of teens having sex. No one gives a shit about Old people having sex. God, thank God for X, you know, really came through for the old. I know. That's good. I was going to say, I think the only kind of uh, film about old people having sex that we've watched so far is X. And God was a good. Oldies deserve it, you know. Oldies fuck too. <laughs> um, so <laughs> thanks for joining us. And please watch Cherry Falls before next month. In the meantime, you can send us all of your thoughts and feedback and ideas, fun little stories, ideas for different films that we should do to our email, which is thesexicistpodcast at gmail.com. That's thesexicistpodcast at gmail.com. Sarah, would you like to tell them about our Instagram? Yes, so we also are on Insta now and have been for this whole time. <laughs> uh, we're at the sexist underscore podcast. You, it's going to be good. Okay, we're going to go medium hard on the Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say it full Lower hard. your expectations, <laughs> <laughs> Neither of us are big social media people, but we will go hard enough to keep you enticed but not hard enough to keep you entertained <laughs> okay it's medium we're going medium threat on the social media um thank you for sticking with us once again and let's hope that we have better internet next time <laughs> <laughs> thanks bye <Thank> <laughs>